Paul Johnson is one of my favorite historians. He was a speechwriter for Margaret Thatcher, uh, so he, he tends to have sort of a conservative view on history, and uh, he has written some excellent books on history. Uh, and one of the things that this great historian uh, understands and has done a lot of study on is the person of Winston Churchill. Uh, Johnson says this, no man did more to preserve freedom and democracy and the values we hold dear in the West than Winston Churchill. And if you have been a student of Churchill, you can understand the principles and everything that he's went to. I've actually read all of his memoirs uh, of World War II, and he was just a remarkable man. And you wonder, what is the secret? How is it that Winston Churchill could have been the man that he was? Well, Johnson tells us. He says this, that Churchill uh, uh, had this remarkable ability to focus on one thing. Churchill had an uncanny gift for getting priorities right. Well, that really is very similar to the great success of the Apostle Paul that we are studying as we go through Philippians. Uh, and one of the things we're going to see in today's passage is that Paul's priority in life was Jesus Christ. And he would be pressing on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Which is, this which also should be our goal. And as we pursue that goal, Jesus Christ also becomes our joy. So let us look at this wonderful passage in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 21 this morning. This is a life-changing passage. A life-changing passage. And let us be like Churchill, like the Apostle Paul... Focus on that one thing of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you right now. Lord, I pray, especially this morning, that you would help us to pay attention to your word. Lord, everything I say and do up in this pulpit could return void, but your word does not return void. And we are so played with our past. We are so anxious about the future that we miss this joy that is ours by promise in Christ Jesus, help us to be focused on the one thing above our call of God in Christ Jesus. I pray, God, that we would go to school in the Apostle Paul as he leads us in this example today through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, the preceding text, uh, uh, we're going to look at this passage this morning, but the preceding text will help uh, enlighten us because we had to kind of break it up a little bit. So we sort of broke it up a little bit in mid-thought here. Uh, but going back to uh, verses 10 and 11, you might recall that Paul, after talking about his great resume of success, his training, uh, his pedigree, uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the tribe of, Gen uh, 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 of uh, Benjamin, uh, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, blameless, that sort of thing, when he said it was all rubbish, all rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus because it was those very things that kept him from depending on a Savior. He thought that he would be able to receive the merit of God by his own good works. And then he says that his ultimate desire is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's look at our passage now. We'll, I'll read it in its entirety, and you might find your home group helps insert of assistance to you here as we break it down into five different uh, sections here. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, God says, the Apostle Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you, and I tell you now with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the, glory, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And again, our outline, as you find in your home group helps, we're going to see here that we have an ambition in verses 12 through 14, an attitude in verses 15 through 16, uh, that we are following after the example of Paul in verse 17. Uh, we should be avoiding the ungodly in verses 18 and 19. And then we are awaiting Christ's return. So first of all here, this is our ambition here. Uh, uh, we are to accept Paul's passionate ambition of knowing Christ deeper in our own, as our own life's ambition. Now you have older, uh, other ambitions in your life. Many of you are in school and you are trying to be prepared for a particular profession. Many of you are raising children. Many of you are helping to raise grandchildren. Many of you have an ambition to have a particular piece of property or to own something or whatever. Many of those ambitions are, are fine. But the one supreme, the one supreme ambition that trumps all of those and that all of those need to be under the umbrella of is this idea of knowing Christ. Paul confesses here, he says, not that I've already obtained this, I've already become perfect. He understands that he has not yet attained to where we want to go. And this could be a little discouraging, couldn't it? Because, I mean, if, if there was ever a Christian that had his act together, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet, folks, he was as flawed as we are. He had dealt with his issues. He dealt with temper. He dealt with the passions and the lust of the body. We, part of the reason why we, we understand that is from Romans chapter 7 where he cries out, Who will free me from this body of death? You don't say that if you think you got your, if you're perfect. You got your act completely together here. But that's his ambition. So in other words, he doesn't, he, he's not been perfect, but his goal is to always be perfect. That is, should always be what we're moving for. And he's probably co-opting the language of some of his opponents here. They probably had some of these false teachers coming in and they were telling the Philippian church, by the way, you can listen to me. Don't listen to Paul. Listen to me because I have arrived, right? I am perfect. This is not unlike some of the prosperity theology that we see in our land and especially on television that we are now exporting regrettably to Africa uh, and other places around the world uh, where the, the prosperity teachers dismiss illness, poverty and trials uh, as a lack of faith. And if you want to be more like uh, them because they are so perfect, all you've got to do is, well, send some money to our ministry and then we'll take care of the rest of it, right? It always seems to be that way. Well, Paul is battling probably some of these same people here uh, that, are, that, are, that are claiming this perfection. And yet, that is what we strive for. But to claim that you have arrived, basically what you're going to do this is you're going to lower the definition of sin to the point that you can achieve it. And, uh, and you're basically going to get rid of all of your attitudes as a result of that. 
If you say that you don't sin and that you have reached perfection, you're actually calling God a liar, according to 1 John chapter 1. So what does he do? He, I press on to make it my own. Uh, there, 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 uh, there's a, a heartbeat of Paul's life that you see here that knowing how to become a Christian is relatively simple. I mean, it's relatively simple. Christianity is just not complicated. There's not a list of do's and don'ts. It is you receive the Holy Spirit, you respond in faith, that's it. You, you, you're saved by grace. But living the Christian life it's really hard, isn't it? It's really complicated sometimes. It is not an easy thing to do. You are going counter to the world, counter to your own body. You are tempted with the whispers of the evil one constantly. And it's hard. And it can be discouraging at times. So what do we do? We press on. We always move forward. Y'all never, ever, ever go on the defense. Ever go on the defense. You are dead if you go on the defense. You have to be moving forward all the time. You're always going on the offensive. And this is what Jesus is, uh, got Paul is talking about here. Press on. This idea of pressing on here. Of course, Paul, I think Paul was a sports fan. He just loved sports analogies here. And uh, so he, it's, it's, it's a kind of an af athletic metaphor here on, in terms of continuing to run the race. We see this principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that all that run a race, runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This idea of pressing on is also used in secular Greek literature. One uh, author uh, of, of 3,000 years ago used it to describe the Greek army pressing after an enemy and, and, and conquering them, taking over their, 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 their army uh, and uh, following after them, pursuing them to, uh, to be able to subdue them. And why do we do this? Because Christ Jesus has made me his, his own. When you taste of God's grace... When you are first introduced to Christ, you just can't get enough of it. You just want more grace, more Jesus, more grace, more Jesus. When you're thinking right. There's times you don't want anything to do with them because you're mad at them, because you're disappointed, because you've been wallowing so much in sin, you're operating the flesh instead of the spirit. But, but for the true Christian, you always come back to Christ, don't you? You always come back to Christ. He says, your brothers, I do not consider that I that, that I have uh, I consider that I have made it my own. He's not obtained perfection. He keeps moving on. But one thing I do. And here's this focus. Here's the focus. The same kind of Winston Churchill focus. He's about to tell us what his absolute uh, focus and intensity is all referring to. Uh, and this is really the secret to joy. You know, that's our theme all throughout Philippians is this idea of joy for the journey. But we struggle with that, don't we? We just struggle with this constant joy. But this is really the thing. To be so singularly focused instead of being so distracted is one of the things that's going to help us with joy. Oswald Chambers referring to John 15, 11, that my joy may remain with you and that my joy may be full, says this. The joy of Jesus was the absolute self-surrender and self-sacrifice of himself to the Father. The joy of that which the Father sent him to do. I delight to do thy will. Jesus prayed that our joy might go on fulfilling itself until it was the same joy as his. 
it's theoretically possible to have the kind of joy that Jesus had. But to do that, you've got to kind of you've got to follow the example of Christ and the kind of relationship that he had with the father. And, and, and I'm very much aware of all the young people that we have in this church. And we're just blessed with that uh, to have all these young people. But but this is especially important as you are starting off in life for you to have this kind of focus. I'm just telling you, I've been a Christian for over 40 years. And, and Nancy and I started off with a bunch of People, godly people, people that had every bit of hope and everything. And we've just seen people compromise and fail over time. And we don't want that for you. What we want you to do is become a stronger Christian every day, not being tempted to go off to the left or the right or to compromise. And it's, this text is really important for you. And he's going to tell us how we're going to do this. But let me just challenge you a little bit more about why it is you don't want to have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. Because you're not made for that. God has pulled you out of the world. He has broken off your chains. He has made you free from Satan's domain. He has plucked you up, adopted you into his family, and made you a citizen of heaven. You are now a child of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And for you to be enticed by the things of the world is to go backwards in a way that could, could, could really bring pain and destruction to you. We see this example in the, uh, uh, in the, the, the letters to the churches in Revelation. The church of Laodicea, Jesus says this, the words of the amen, faithful and true witness and beginning of God's creation. I know your works and neither are they hot or cold. I would be that they would either be hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's that that spineless middle ground that God despises. He despises that. And yet we find ourselves gravitating towards that because we're we're more concerned about the opinion of men than we are of God. And and I, I just if we just have to keep this in mind, how do we do this? Well, we do this with being here. We do this with right doctrine. We do this with good Christian fellowship. And, you know, one of the keys to success in college is you lock into good Christian fellowship. Y'all need to be going to RUF. You need to be uh, trying to get uh, Christian uh, uh, Christian. Uh, uh, roommates and hang out and have dinner with Christian. I'm not saying be, be a fundamentalist and cut yourself off from everybody else, but that needs to be part of your purpose. But here's the other thing. Don't forget the love. Don't forget the love post, uh, the love uh, portion of this. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 says this as he's continued to go on. I think this is the church of Ephesus. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Okay, so they're fighting the good fight of faith here in this church. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. This is, this is probably a, a Presbyterian Reformed Baptist problem. Because we love doctrine. We love good traditions. We love the meat. We love the meat. I was talking to a young lady yesterday who goes to a really good uh, Presbyterian church in Greenville, and her boyfriend uh, goes to an, an independent uh, uh, evangelical church. And she's kind of working on that a little bit, you know, and uh, and I and I said, is he reformed? And they, she said, yeah, he's reformed. I said, well, that's where the meat is. That's where the depth is The you know, he doesn't have to be Presbyterian. But, you know, but if he's reformed, he's going to he's going to, you know, uh, he's going to understand some of these principles here. But we can be solid in doctrine. Our children on Wednesday nights can memorize the shorter catechism. But if we lose that first love, well, we've become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. 
and the Ephesian church, which was, by the way, started by Paul and, uh, and pastored by John. Okay? I mean, they had some advantages there. Uh, they'd grown cold. They'd gotten used to having good doctrines and people knowing the creeds and singing the hymns. Their love for Christ had grown cold. This is the other, the other great danger here. So we are to press on. We are to press on. There's an aggression here, like athletes running to a race uh, and, and, and exhausting themselves to, 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 to go forward here. Uh, you know, it's, it's like Gandalf told Frodo, uh, the world is not in your books and maps. It's out there. That was a terrible impersonation again. I got a beard. I got the beard, you know, but... Uh, I actually was trying to grow the hair out during COVID, uh, and, um, but some of the older ladies in the church told me they were going to go a strike if I, if I grew the hair out. And Elsie and Connie can have whatever they want, so I cut my hair, you know. <laughs> so here we go. Here's your key. Again, I'm, these are the, 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 the major verses for you to be focusing on. You're going you're gonna to have to deal with your past, your future, and your present. What does he say? Y'all, you've got to hear this. Forgetting what lies behind. Now, that could be pride in your achieve, achievements, or that could be shame and insecurity in your failings. And, it, and you probably got a mixed bag of both, right? But you are to forget what lies behind. Paul is just reflecting what Jesus himself taught in Luke chapter 9. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. There's just the singular devotion. You cannot be moving forward on the race if you're checking behind your back all the time. And, he, and I'll be honest with you, this is one of the great devices of Satan, isn't it? Is to remind you of all of your failures. You'll, you'll be sitting there driving down the highway and you're looking for an Arby's or you're looking for, well, I'm sorry, you're Christian Chick-fil-A. Um, and, 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 and you see the signs pass by and all of a sudden you remember when you wet yourself in second grade. I mean, it doesn't matter. don't you hate when that stuff comes up? It, you hate that, but that's, that's, that's the devil just throwing that stuff there, and therefore you're not qualified to whatever, you know? But he tells you, by the way, this is a command. You know, we sometimes think, well, you know, maintain humility, I've got to remember what a loser I am. No, no, you don't. You've got to remember that you're adopted into the kingdom of God, that you're a child of the king of the universe. You're a princess or a prince of heaven. That's what you're supposed to do. So, you know, you forget what lies behind. This, is, this helps you just to stay focused here. Then what do you do? Straining forward. Notice it takes some effort here. Straining forward to what lies ahead. Here's your future. You stay focused on the prize. Jesus Christ himself in all of his glory is at that finishing line. He's there waiting for you. So you keep your focus on him. He's the coach. So you don't do something stupid while you're trying to keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep moving forward here. And then the present. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is almost, this is almost a violent command. You can just see him so focused that he moves through sweat, pain, everything else. There is an aggression that we should have in our relationship towards God. To the point that we take an, an account of our life and we get rid of anything, anything that's entangling us and preventing us from being able to run this race. I love what Jesus said 
uh, in Matthew 11, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent, violent take it by force. Don't be passive as you try to take hold of heaven. Take an account of everything in your life that could prevent this and keep that focus upon everything that you are doing. You are to, you are, you are to move forward. I remember when I was training, uh, well, I was, used to be a runner. I have to tell you that because you wouldn't necessarily guess that. <laughs> and, uh, and I was really into it for a while. And there, were, there was a couple of times I got home not being aware of it, but my, my chest was covered with blood. From just the chafing of just running for so long. And, and of course, I'm from Colombia, which is like, like think Brazil, is a, 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 you know, Amazon jungle. You know, so it's hot, and you know, you know and, and, uh, and, 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 but I was willing to put up with that because I was training for races and that kind of thing. Um, we're a little afraid of blood, but sometimes it takes that, that kind of motivation to move forward following Jesus Christ. It takes. It's just not going to be an easy race. No one's picking you up and carrying you. And guess what? God's not going to pick you up and carry you. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to put the good works and the, the challenges maybe in front of you. But you've got to run the race. Martin Luther said this. <clears throat> they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? And this is a motivator too. Other people are watching. Other people are watching you. We understand this from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners with such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Henderson says this, it is we who must strive to enter in. God does not do this believing and striving for us. But here's part of the secret of unlocking joy. It's that groaning and moving forward that actually is, results in joy. It's the desire for Christ, even though you can't achieve him right now, you don't see him right now, that is the, that is that that groaning desire is part of what the Christian joy, uh, the Christian experience is in regards to joy. It's this moving forward. You're not going to experience that joy if you're sitting on the bench. You're just not. So there's this uh, spiritual dissatisfaction that occurs to us when we've when we've taken off our shoes and we, we decide God's going to just have to do everything else for us. There should be a, a zeal that we had. Paul, uh, Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed is he who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You ever been really hungry? You ever been really thirsty? I mean, really, I mean, to the point of pain? Th that's kind of what Jesus explained. You know, we can't get it yet, but we keep moving forward. So you need to be a man, a woman of one thing. I remember the, you know, that text is sad when the rich young ruler turns away disappointed because uh, Jesus didn't just say, yeah, just come on in, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, just uh, you can have, your, you can have your, your life and just uh, me too, just make sure you give to the church. You know, he didn't say that. He said, I, he said, I demand from you a radical departure of everything that you put your hope in and put your hope in me. 
That's a paraphrase. But then you have Peter sitting right there, and, and he said, and in Matthew 19, it says, Peter's reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then uh, will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will be sitting on his glorious throne, you will have followed me, will also sit with me on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Folks, you, every time you give up something to improve your Christian life, to worship the Lord, you trade up. You trade up. It might be a relationship. It might be a habit. It might, I don't know. You fill in the blank. You probably know in the back of your mind right now what that thing might be. Maybe the Holy Spirit's putting it on your mind right now. You trade up. You trade up. You trade up. You may not see it, but you trade up. When you do this. All right, then we look here at the attitude here. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if anyone has thinks otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So, so basically, uh, it, it, it appears that some of these pe the people are grasping this, but they're kind of struggling with this. And yet Paul has kind of a confidence in them. Uh, he, 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 he believes in the Philippian church. It's his favorite church. So he, he's, he's trying to explain to them that those of you who are perfect. Now, your translation may say perfect. It's probably a better translation to say mature. So there's an expectation that the mature people become more mature and they carry the less mature people along with them. And he says here, if you think otherwise, God's going to take care of that. Um, uh, if you think perfectionism taught, if you think that you need to be saved by being circumcised, if you think that all of this obedience doesn't marry, God's going to reveal that to him. He has confidence in the church. Only let us hold true that what we've Obtained. Notice this, Paul includes himself in this. He includes himself. We all need to, he's reminding himself too. Every sermon I ever preach, I'm preaching to myself first. Because I struggle sometimes practicing these things. And the apostle Paul is the same way. But notice this, uh, uh, there's a standard here. We've got to hold true. What To, to what? Uh, the New American Standard says, let us keep living by the same standard by which we have obtained. The standard is Scripture. The standard is Scripture. God has given us a book. It tells us two things, who God is and what God expects of us. That's the two things that Scripture tells us. So we have this standard, so we've got to hold to it. So you can't be, you can't be lazy in your study. You need, to, you need to be always looking to Scripture, always participating in Bible studies and worship and everything. And, and I'm and talking about the rest of your life. It's not like you become 67, you start getting Social Security and think, okay, it's time to check out. I don't need all that stuff anymore. I've got that thing down. Boy, that, that is a recipe for failure. Do you not think you could fail at age 70, at age 80? You've got to always be moving forward here. There is a standard, though. This is one reason why we recite the creeds. One reason why we go through the catechisms is to remind you of, of the standard that we're to have. When uh, my oldest son was a Navy pilot, and I went to visit him one time when he was down in uh, Corpus Christi at the air base down there. And I, and I walked in, and there was a stack of manuals, no kidding, about like that. And I, there probably were about eight or nine manuals there. And uh, they were stacked up right next to, to the door. And I said, you know, what are those? He goes, oh, those, those are my manuals. And I said, you know, have you read them? He said, I have to know everything in them. Any Navy pilot who's ever gone through training understands NATOPS, the Naval Air Training Operations Procedures Standardization, and they are tested on that or they don't become pilots. And I thought, wow, 
that's a lot. I just thought you got to play like beach volleyball with blue jeans and no shirt on, you know, like a... Zan said Tom Cruise ruined the Navy, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but y'all, if that's what you got to do to fl fly for the Navy, how much more do you have to do to live for God? So if there's anything, a message here, loving Christ and adoring his Bible, I'm just telling you, those two things will get you through life and you will keep the goal of the prize before you. And, and this will also, it'll help you avoid the new, the fads. You know how many Christian fads I've seen in my lifetime? It's a new bracelet or a new book or a new Bible study or a new, you know, and, and uh, there's some good stuff. I don't mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to some new things, but you just got to be careful. And when you know doctrine and you know what the Bible says, you will be able to avoid all of these fads. I like what uh, Stephen Larson, uh, Lawson said says here, reminds us that new teaching is simply old heresy. <laughs> the latest trends in Christianity are often selling baptized humanism. And that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Baptized humanism. Well, we got to be a little bit more liberal, a little bit more woke, we're a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more endearing to this new generation of people because they can't handle truth. <laughs> so let's just Let's just, uh, let's just polish it up a little bit and make it more palatable so that they will come to our church and fill our seats and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I think we probably run off as many people as we attract. But there's just no other reason to come here other than truth. There's just no, you know, we just don't have, we, don't, we ain't got a rock climbing wall. We got, a, we got a basement. If you want to climb around the basement, you can, but uh, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, and, 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 I, and we recognize that some of y'all are giving up, uh, you know, um, churches with lots of programs. Some of them are good programs and everything. But, the, but there is an advantage to that in some ways. You're just not going to come here if you don't want just good old Bible truth, you know. And, uh, again, you know, we can do some more things than we do. I don't mean to criticize uh, bigger churches with lots of programs, but that is helpful in a lot of ways in many ways. You see here the example of Paul in verse 17 here. Brothers, join in, uh, join in imitating me. Now you think kind of, is Paul being prideful here? But no, he's not. He's, he's, he's talking to a bunch of, 10 years ago, these people were ver worshiping Mars. They were worshiping Athena. They were offering sacrifices to Zeus. And they're living in pagan life. Part of that pagan relig religion was was intercourse as a means to producing fertility and getting the gods to bring rain and things like that. So Paul's like, don't follow them. Follow me. You want to know what a Christian is supposed to look like? Look at me. Because Paul is following Christ. So that's the wonderful other thing. We are not alone in this race. We are not alone in this race. We, to our left and to our right, there are millions of people worldwide that are running in this race. Study them. Learn from them. But Paul is saying to them in particular, learn from me. Join in imitating me. Jesus said in Matthew 10, it's not enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. You've got to become like the, the one who's who is above you, who is Christ Jesus, and, and look for anybody who's similar to Christ Jesus. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I, I struggled with this as I was pondering over this. And I thought, you know what, Lord, there's a I'm pretty open about my flaws. 
I, I don't know why I don't need to be because sometimes they're very apparent. <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty open about my flaws and my failings and that kind of thing. And I thought about I thought, Lord, would I ever tell my congregation to look to me? Would I ever tell them, follow my example? And I really struggled with that because I'm thinking, Lord, I, I, I don't want them to get tongue-tied and say stupid things in sermons. I, I want them to be more disciplined, more loving, be a better use of time. And, you know, and I start going through all my things that I think I fail in. But then I thought, but you know what, Lord? Nancy and I have been walking with you for over 40 years. And we love you. And we love your word. And we love your church. So yes, follow me and Nancy. And follow us when we really monk up too. We have done, I say we. (laughs) Uh, I've really done some stupid things. And I really regret some of the stupid things I've done. And I think Nancy would say the same. I can't speak for her. She does a lot less stupid things. But you know what? When we do stupid things and we sin, we come back. And we fall on our knees before the Lord and we say, we get grace. (laughs) Follow us and follow some of these other people around here. That's another one of the things I love about this church. There are lots of examples of godly Christians who have paid the price. They've kept their eyes on Jesus. They have not turned to the left or the right. They've gotten rid of the things that entangle them in this race. And they're going to win. They're going to cross that finish line. Follow them too. And be one who looks behind you. And sees people following you. This is what, what, uh, in one of my justifications for hiring Macaria Sanders, whose heart just stopped, uh, <laughs> was every time I see her, she's got people behind her. She's got people behind her. She is a, she is a person of influence. That's actually my cheat code for, for joy, by the way. You just hire Macaria Sanders. You know, you walk into the church, it's, just, it's like hiring Julie Andrews. You know, uh, for on staff, and she's going to dress the youth group up in lederhosen made out of curtains, probably. And you know, but she's just joyful. You know, she's like, "This is great." But you can't have her because she needs to stay here to help uh, the rest of us. So he keeps on going here. So he says, "Keep on uh, others." He, he, the us here is also includes Timothy and Epaphroditus, which we've already uh, looked at, of course. But we are to walk after those who are walking after Christ. And then we are to avoid the ungodly. Here's the negative part of this uh, here in verse 18. Paul's just emotional about this. He, he says he's even saying this with tears. He feels deeply uh, the people that are assaulting the gospel in the name of the gospel. You know, if the devil were to walk in right now and say, hey, by the way, I'm the devil. And I'm just going to teach you some other stuff that's really going to throw you off. You know, none of us would follow him. They don't ever look like that. They always look like perfect Christians. With perfect teeth, you know, with, with, with perfect articulance, with all this wonderful education, and, and they just get you a little bit off, a little bit off. So when you're running down that race, you're going to end up in the stands by the time you get to the end of your life. He says they're enemies of the cross of Christ. <coughs> Paul's not embarrassed calling out people who are opposed to Christianity. And whatever, ha- this is probably, they're probably ex-members of the Philippian church that still have relational influence in them. 
but he gives quick descriptions of the false teachers. First of all, their end is destruction. They're going to be eternally damned. Why? Because they're adding to faith in Jesus Christ as the reason for salvation. They're adding ceremony. They're adding good works. They're adding something else. But there might have been some libertines, some, some, uh, some more liberal people that were affecting the church too. Because he also says that their God is their belly. They're devoted to sensual pleasures. Their own desires are elevated to the level of a divine authority in their life. It's this me first movement. They also, they glory in their shame. That's probably a, a metaphor for sexual excesses. Uh, and they boast about their glory, uh, but they're actually it's in their shame and their sexual pleasures. Uh, and their minds are set on earthly things. And that's what needs to really hit us. Our minds are set on earthly things things. James says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy. God gives you lots of wonderful things to help sweeten the passage to the next life. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy a good cup of coffee. Enjoy a belly laugh. You know, there's a lot of good things that are out there, but, but, but you are not to set your mind on those things. You're not to set your mind on things. Galatians 4, he says this, Paul says this to the Galatians, but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Those whose slaves you want, uh, the uh, slaves you want to be once more. And now we see waiting Christ returns, the great glorious end, what's at the finish line here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Again, reminding them, these Philippians are very proud of their citizenship. It was a Roman colony. They had all the rights of Rome. Their architecture was Roman. They spoke Latin. Uh, and uh, they're very proud of that. Most of them were for, very, very patriotic people. They're, they're veterans of some of the Roman wars here. But he says, ah, but first of all, you're a citizen of heaven. You take care of Philippi. That's important too. Vote, you know, whatever. But, but your citizenship is in heaven. And he says, and from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses four names here to describe Jesus Christ, this person who's at the end of the finish line that we are serving. He's a savior, which means the one who delivers from great dangers. His name is Jesus, which means God saves. Christ is the anointed one, the king and Lord means ruler or sovereign. This is a clear indication of the deity of Jesus Christ, as was chapter two, verses nine through eleven. God was highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Every knee will bow some perhaps involuntarily. But I think even the most uh, foul sinner who's hated Jesus all their life, when they see him in his glory, they're going to be so overwhelmed. They have they can do nothing but fall on their face and worship him. Much better to fall on your face and worship him as a child. One who is guaranteed salvation than one who has rejected him. <clears throat> he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I don't know about y'all, but that's really good news. Anybody under, you know, you know, I think you feel you physically peak about age 21 and then you start your decline towards certain death. You want more of that good news. Keep coming back on Sundays, but, uh. I think that's the case. So for most of y'all, I mean, I'm sorry, it's, it's set. It's set. But, you know, when you're young, you think you're going to live all the time. I got to tell you, I was 19 yesterday in my mind. I still act like it sometimes. But I mean, I was 19. It's amazing how fast moves on, life moves on, which I'm pretty stoked about in a lot of ways. 
But, uh, but he is going to transform this body. This is, this is the groaning desire of all of us with a few gray hairs here. We inherited this flawed, fallen body from Adam. But when you're in Christ, you're going to have a new glorious body. 1 Corinthians 15, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, Christ. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Man, I'm telling you, that's something to look forward to. It's worth the race. If you were to see Christ now, what would be the thing that would embarrass you that you didn't give over to him, that entangled you on the race? Think about that. And work with others to help get rid of that thing, to repent from it. When it comes back, repent from it again and keep moving on. There's going to be some things we're just going to always be tempted to our deathbed. We just are. But our, but our hope is not in that. Our hope is not in our own bodies. Our hope is in the body that is to come in Christ Jesus. By the power that enables even him to subject all things to himself. At the close of his life, as he's writing his last will and testament to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul is back in jail in Rome awaiting execution to be beheaded by the evil Nero. And Paul was able to tell this to Timothy. This is what we want to be able to say too. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Paul is, Paul is inches, inches from the finish line. He can see Christ reaching out to him. He is ready to go. He is ready to go. So how do we get there? Well, that's kind of what he's telling us in this passage. But I just want to remind you of this idea of not looking back. Wise old Solomon said in Proverbs 4, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Uh, Kent Hughes had a great illustration of this that I uh, had forgotten about, and then he calls me to recall it, and I want to read some of it to you. On August 7th, 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, the mile run matchup was one of the greatest events uh, ever considered. They called it the Miracle Mile because it was Roger Bannister and Australian John Lundy. Both of them were the only two sub-four-minute mile runners in the world, and they were going up against each other. As, uh, as the, the race game, they were on their third lap. <clears throat> Everything was finishing drive, uh, and, uh, and uh, Landy was ahead. The Australian poured, uh, ordered on, stretching his already substantial lead. Immediately, Bannister adjusted his strategy, increasing his pace and gaining on Landy. The lead was quickly cut in half, and at the bell for the final lap, they were even. Landy began running even faster, and Bannister followed suit. Both men were flying. Bannister felt he was going to lose if Landy did not slow down. Then came the famous moment, replayed a thousand times in print and flickering black and white celluloid. As at the last stride before the home stretch, the crowds roared. Landy could not hear Bannister's footfall and looked back. A fatal lapse of concentration. Bannister launched his attack and won the Empire Games by five yards. John Landy's lapse was as old as antiquity. The sports knowledgeable Apostle Paul could have seen Landy's mistake in a flash because he knew that to be successful, a runner must not look back over his shoulder. He must forget what lies behind because when a runner turns even slightly to glance back in a momentary loss of focus and rhythm, incurring the critical loss of a fraction of a second, or even seconds. Folks, you are going to win. You are, if you're a Christian, going to be saved. You will 
fall into the arms of Jesus at some point in time. But let us get there in glory and in power and in confidence, not crawling over entangled by the things of the world. May the Lord make it so. Father, we do turn to you in faith and just we just confess we're overwhelmed by this standard in so many ways. But I thank you, God, that you give us the Holy Spirit and you give us the church. And we do not run this race alone. Help us to not to look back, but to keep forward for the upward crown, the prize that will be given us on that day. And let us take everything we do in life in account and realize that only Christ, only Christ really matters. In Christ's name, amen.